0: Okay there there we go. Hi right Brian Eisenberg I am joined today by Harold Mazingo. Uh, Harold played professionally for the Kansas City Royals and the Blue Jays uh, for uh, six years. Harold and you now own some of Mazingo baseball where you, where you train young athletes. Um, You've also the author of the Young Gun series, which is, is an amazing uh, ebook and, and videos included with that. But I but I want to jump right in and ask you a, a very quick question because you you finished professional ball a little over a decade ago. Knowing what you know now and how you train your athletes today, what do you wish you could have done differently in your training as you were developing, you know, through high school and, and beyond?
1: All right. Um, Well, first off, thanks for having me on. Um, The answer to that may may not be an answer you want. Um, The one thing that I always tell people, I sort of, I don't know what the best way to describe this is, but I think everything sort of happens for a reason, right? And I don't know that I would do anything differently because it all led me to where I am today. Um, So what I mean by that is because I didn't have some of the advantages that are out there today, it's really made me dive in and get a better understanding of all this stuff to better help my athletes today, right? So I hope that makes sense. So because we didn't have all of the stuff at the disposal of the athletes today, it just forced me to really study and get a better understanding. So just to, I guess the best way to put this, when I first started working with athletes, the only thing I really had to go off of was the things that worked for me personally. And then you quickly realize that that doesn't work. So how do you get through to the athletes? And, of course, and that leads down this rabbit hole of this information, right? And because of the rapid changes that have, that have occurred over the last decade, um, you've had to really dive in and, and study, if you will, almost back in school um, to understand all this stuff. So I don't know that I would have done things – well, let me say that back. There's one thing I would have done differently. Um, I dealt with a lot of injuries, and so that being said, the one thing that I wish I would have been able to do differently – was take better care of myself. And by that, I mean, understand just how important the role of strength on the posterior side of the arm was.
0: That's, that's perfect. It's, it's interesting, you know, I, I, I listened to that answer. And one of the things that strikes me is that obviously um, this is part of what we see in all, a lot of these Twitter debates among, you know, these, these, you know, former professionals who go on and say, okay, you know, you've got to do it like me, but they haven't necessarily gone on to be teachers. And, there, and there's a big difference, it seems, from doing what you've known and will work for you as an athlete because you were, had whatever gifts you had, versus how do you communicate to more people who may have different gifts and, and different parts, of, you know, and, and develop differently than you have? Um, is, is that what we're seeing in so many of these Twitter debates?
1: Yeah, I really, I really do believe that, um, and, and I sort of understand where everyone's coming from with that, for the most part, the athletes that have always been better athletes than, the, than their peers, right? They sort of get left to do the things they've always been doing, right? So they don't really fully always understand what it is that they're actually doing. They know what works for them internally, but they, don't really, they can't really explain what it is they're doing other than what they're feeling, right? Um, so the athletes that aren't quite up to par are the ones that usually get more of the coaching, right, from the coaches. Um, so yeah, it, it it is very different because you think, I've had success doing it this way. If you just do it like I did, you'll be fine. But that doesn't work when you start really diving in and getting in the trenches with guys.
0: So I, I, I want to bring this back into and I really want to focus in on one big area, and, and it's kind of a, a funny story. I don't go into it a lot of detail in the book, but uh, you know in, in, in the book Committed, we talk a little bit about ground forces, but one of the funnier stories behind this is, uh, it's not funny, but Uh, You know, a few years ago, Sammy broke his ankle, right? Um, He was in the gym and he kind of rolled over. And instead of the ligaments going, it was the bone. It was not a pretty sight. He ended up walking across the gym on a broken bone. We didn't know. But when he finally got back into throwing and pitching, we didn't realize that um, some of the mobility in his ankle wasn't quite where it used to be. Like, you know, he he could bend it forward fine, but that eversion, inversion, right? The turning in and turning out was an issue. And so um, I'm sitting at the gym and I'm watching one of the uh, MLB pitchers uh, throw a bullpen and I'm seated, seated behind um, the mound at an angle. And I get it to where I can really see his feet and I can watch what his, his foot and his ankle and the whole way his leg is working and going into his landing. And we analyze that and we're looking at it and we realize okay, we, I, I see kind of where where Sammy is, is is losing some of this. And so, you know, we ended up, you know, doing a whole bunch of mobility work and uh, ended up doing uh, some work with the Rotex motion. I think I've mentioned to you uh, beforehand right. to help correct some of that mobility. And of course that, you know, that helped him because he's not one of those naturally gifted athletes who just feel it and, and do it. And especially after the break, it was a whole different thing. But here's my question for you. Why, why is it so important? And, and why have you spent so much time trying to understand ground force, right? Even to the point where you know, you've dug up a wee board to try to understand it better. C- can you explain to parents why it's so important?
1: Yeah, so just uh, sort of to better understand why I wanted to get into that, I knew for me personally that I had to really feel my back leg a lot. That was one of the things that I wanted to feel. And when you start looking out there, there really wasn't a whole lot of studies or experiments done with ground force, other than the raw data, and some of the stuff that was starting to come out was that the back leg really isn't important, right? And I, you know, just from what I felt, I was like, man, this can't be right. Like there has to be more to it than this. Um, so that's kind of what we did. Um, just dove in as much as we could with no clear direction, right? We, like you said, we were using a Wii board. Um, there's nothing really there. It's all just blind, flying blind, right? And you're trying to correlate everything to make something of the data, and nothing's working. But then you start, as time went on, I started to realize that when you start looking at different things than just the raw data itself, there are things there that matter. And it's exactly what I would venture to guess most good pitchers would tell you that they feel when they're trying to get down into their legs anyways. I mean, it's all there. So the way we use the ground is sort of vital to set up really torque throughout the system because the ground is what we're holding on to, to deliver the ball, right? That's sort of, if we were to throw the ball by jumping in the air, we're never going to throw the ball at the same velocity as when we have the ground. So we have to maximize how we, so I don't, I don't I don't know if using the ground or using our bodies down into the ground is the better terminology. I don't know, but we have to create um, this sort of torque in the system to have resistance to throw against at ball release.
0: Yeah. So, you know, a couple of things. So one for parents to understand, you know, it would be different trying to throw on sand versus, um, you know, on, on, on a mattress uh, versus on like a, a, a waterbed or or a typical mount.
1: Right. Absolutely. Or like ice. You know what I mean? Like you just don't have much there to put into the ground to resist against. So that's what we're trying to maximize when we're out there on the mound is maximize that torque in the system to create resistance to throw against. Um, and yeah, there's so different couple things that, there's a couple, le- things, was,
0: that, there's, there's a couple of things that parents hear all the time, but it's probably confusing to them. And, and you said it sort of like, you know, so many coaches will tell kids get in their legs. They, they see, you know, they're not using their legs effectively, but that cue doesn't seem to kind of necessarily get people to be like, Oh, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I know exactly what you mean. So what, what do we need to do?
1: Okay, so look, so like I said, there's, there's different sort of layers and phases to all the stuff with ground force, and I don't know this particularly ground force, but ground force data will kind of show you this stuff, right? So the first thing that we want to do is set up that good load into the rear hip, and the way I sort of describe that to people is um, everything, that, the whole entire sequence of pitching is a, is a series of loading and unloading joints, right? That's what it is. Um, while retaining torque in the system and other places at the same time. So the first move is that loading of the rear hip. And we sort of want to use that as a springboard into the rest of the delivery, if you will. So in order to set up that rear hip, if if pitchers weren't, and, and you probably saw this if you were looking at the pitchers in the bullpen, if pitchers didn't have cleats on, like elite pitchers, what you would see is their foot would spin, big time on the mound. But because they have the cleats on, it doesn't quite do it as much there's just this gradual shift, right? And that's sort of the first thing that has to happen. We have to sort of get externally rotated before we can internally rotate that back leg. So we, we rotate that, not rotate that hip, but we load into that rear hip to create torque and stretch in that system to be able to unload it. And we have to be able to maintain that throughout the sitting process as late as possible. Um, and then from there, we want to get into a very powerful unloading, which is internal rotation. But before that occurs, there's actually something very important that does happen as well. And that is that idea of pushing off the rubber or driving off the rubber, right? There is that little teeny instance where that occurs. We just wanna make sure it happens late um, and at the right time and very forcefully. And that is sort of the big time springboard into internal rotation. So we sort of have that setting up, going down the mound of, um, of setting up that rear hip. And there's that springboard is where we push off and drive into internal rotation very rapidly and very forcefully. And then from there, it's just a matter of making sure we have enough momentum going down the mound, which is where people look into front leg ground force, right? Um, and they think the, the front leg da- data means so much and that's due to momentum. So we do, do wanna put force into the ground on the front leg, but it's not just the force by itself either. The big thing there is the front leg is probably the most misunderstood thing out there. The front leg's job is to resist. And, and that's really its only role. It's to resist that forward momentum that we're talking about and the rotational components, because the pitching we want to be linear to rotational, and yep. we have to on the front leg resist both of those movements at the same time very, very quickly while maintaining resistance on the back leg, um, which is where that torque screw comes in, um, and to throw the ball at maximum velocity.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I like to, to explain in, in the book, we talk about either like you know, a bow and arrow where you know that that bow at the front has got to be stiff, right? Or right, else absolutely. you're not going to get the resistance from pulling back or riding a bicycle. If you hit that brake real quickly, right, you should go forward, right? So it's, right, it's that right. same concept.
1: Yeah, so look, I'll just say this. The easiest illusion or the easiest illustration I try to give to the young players is that – and these are made-up numbers, so don't take the numbers for granted. Um, but if we create 100 pounds of force on the back leg, and we're only able to receive 60 pounds of those force on the front leg, we only get to throw with 60 pounds of force. We lost the other 40. Now, that's still better than only creating 40 pounds of force and receiving all 40 pounds, if that makes any sense. So oh. it's, it's, not, it's not as simple as just the data itself, if that, make, if that makes sense.
0: Now, this is, the, this is also similar for hitters as well. This is not just pitchers, right? There, there is that same kind of load – into that back leg.
1: Yeah, so look, I, I sort of stay away from the hitting nonsense that's out there. Um, but yeah, it's hitting and pitching. The deliveries are essentially the same. They just happen on different planes. Whereas right, pitching, but, we're moving but in down. Terms of, you know, in hitting, terms of the way the body so
0: works. I, th- yeah, that's absolutely. what I mean. They're very similar.
1: Yeah, they're very similar. The difference will be one at one point, the pelvis has to go down because we're throwing a ball down a slope, right? And the other is going to sort of, hopefully, slightly uphill to match that plane that's really the only difference
0: now i've heard you describe this torque action um and i think i think parents will get this and it's interesting because i i asked my kids and you know they're, they're different ages you know whether they've opened up and I actually have one here you know like a childproof pill bottle right mm-hmm. uh and you describe it kind of like you know that pushing down and that that, that slight twist um Explain that for parents. So maybe, maybe that's a way that they can help their kids kind of understand it as well.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's been the simplest way for me to get through to the younger athletes, not, not just the younger athletes, the college guys as well. We don't want to just spin off the back leg. We don't want to just push. We don't want to just spin. We have to push down like when you're got the childproof bottle, right? Um, and you have to push down and hold on to that force while you're trying to open in the bottle. That's exactly what we're trying to do, do with the ground. We're trying to push down into the ground and maintain that push down as we go to turn. Uh, we don't want to just spin. You have to maintain force while you're turning. That's what we're trying to do. So,
0: because you've recognized that there's a need and it's not an easy necessarily feel every time for athletes to do this, you developed something called a torque screw. Um, mm-hmm. Just because you didn't you, you didn't see something in the market for it, can can you tell people like what it is and and, and how y- you primarily use it?
1: Yeah. So the, the torque screw is sort of this almost mini pitching rubber, if you will, just for the back leg. Um, and it, it slides, it's meant to slide. So you would put it on like a turf mound or just, a, just turf in general um, to work on two very important components that we're talking about off of the back leg. Um, one being that initial load. And if you're videoing along with it, you can sort of see the timing of different things, all, everything that we're talking about here with the back leg, but that initial load of, Getting setting up the rear hip, if you will. So you'll see, um, if I'm a right-handed pitcher, the third base side of the board, we set it up about a half inch away, right? And the third base side of the board is gonna hit the mound, whereas the, the first base side is gonna slide slightly towards home plate. Um, and that's how we set it up. And that's what it would look like if pitchers didn't have cleats in, the, in a dirt mound, right? That's what it would look like, but it doesn't because we have cleats driving down into the ground. Um, so that's the initial setup that we want to have. We want to maintain that as we go through the sitting process. Um, and then from there, you'll see that, that pushback where the first base side is gonna push back into the mound. That's our drive, right? And then you'll see that rotation occur. But the one thing that happens with the rotation, um, and I'll try to illustrate this, for a right-handed pitcher, and this is all from the Wii board stuff, we would see the board slide, rotate, towards the first base dugout for a right-handed pitcher. And I thought that was extremely wild at first. I had no idea what was going on. It made no sense to me. Um, And then of course that led me to study that a little bit more. And you start to see the resistance move. I know reciprocal movements and all that have a big name today, but it's just a resistance move, right? And what happens is that back leg, everyone gets caught up in how it comes up and over, right? And it does come up and over. But before it does that, it has one vital role for power and that is to resist that movement. And by resisting that movement is where it kicks out towards the first base side. So that's what we want. That's everything there really is the back leg other than how much actual force you're putting into the board all right there. So if you drive down like you're trying to open a childproof bottle, right? Like you're gonna get all three of those things. As long as you can maintain that as you move out.
0: Now with the torque screw, um, I, you know, obviously I've heard you, you've used it for, for, you know, for college and pro and, and pitchers, but what, what's the youngest age you, that you've used it for, for them to kind of feel it?
1: Yeah. So we use it all the way down. Um, I've had as young as like eight, nine year olds use it. Um, they have a little bit harder time and mostly because they don't have enough mass yet. Um, so they can't and, generate the force, <laughs> right? So they can do the first part, but they have a really hard time with that second part, creating that, that um, resistance because they're just really they don't have enough resistance yet. That's why they don't throw very hard yet, right? Um, their bodies still have a lot of developing still to do, and that's fine. Um, but we do work on it with the first part a lot with the younger guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm a big, a big proponent of, you know, teaching movement early so that it becomes a, a common pattern, right? Um, and then, you know, obviously, as, as more strength and, and force are able to be generated, if the movement's correct, you're only going to get better through the movement.
1: Right, no, absolutely. And look, so just, just to make sure I'm very clear on this, typically what we're talking about with the lower half is not messing things up for the upper half, right? But the upper half is the driver. Let, let's make no mistake about it. How, much, how quickly you can accelerate the ball towards home plate um, from external rotation to ball release is going to be the key to how hard you throw. The lower half just has to stay out of the way, if you will, by doing these things right and creating that resistance to throw against. Um, That's that's really what we're trying to do there with the lower half, create that resistance to throw against. But the arm or I shouldn't say the arm, but the upper body, like as it goes from external rotation to ball release towards home plate is the driver for velocity.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, just to kind of, you know, bring it all home. It's a lot like a whip. Right. The handle is not going to do much. That's that's our legs. Right. It's as the whip comes out, that's where the velocity and and that sonic boom from the whip would, would show up.
1: Right, but if we mess up that handle part, it's good luck getting the whip to happen, right? Exactly,
0: exactly. Harold, if people want to find out more about uh, you, the Young Gun series, as well as the Torque Screw, where can they find uh, out about you?
1: All right, so I'm, I'm on social media. It's at Mozingo Baseball for everything. Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Um, biggest is going to be Twitter. I'm um, It's mozingobaseball.com, and you can find the link on that on the website for the Young Guns and the got or the young guns' e-got and the Torx screw.
0: Awesome, and uh, maybe maybe one of these days we'll see you dancing on TikTok with uh, with people, you know, Torx screwing in there. I don't know.
1: Yeah, probably not. Um, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I appreciate your time today. Ah, uh, no problem. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay.